Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Kevin Lindsay here with another episode of Systems in Cybernetics, continuing along with my recent favorite theme of how to not just tolerate or work begrudgingly within systems, but how we can as individuals, communities, and organizations think and act systemically. Today, I'm excited to welcome my guest, David Ehrlichman, to talk about his 2021 book, Impact Networks, Create Connection, Spark Collaboration, and Catalyze Systemic Change. David is a co-founder and coordinator of Converge, a network of systems strategists, designers, facilitators, educators, and evaluators who partner with people, organizations, and networks to navigate complexity and co-create meaningful change. With his colleagues, he has supported the development of dozens of impact networks, taking action on issues as diverse as economic mobility, environmental stewardship, human rights, and healthcare reform. You can find Converge at converge.net or from my link in the show notes. Prior to catalyzing Converge, David was a consultant with with, Monitor Institute, where he was first introduced to the power of networks. He lives near Seattle, Washington, in the ancestral territory of the Coast Salish peoples. And when he's not writing or working with networks, you can usually find him spending time with family and friends out in nature or playing music. He lives with his wife, two goofy dogs, and a baby daughter. Welcome, David, and thank you very much for joining me here on the New Books Network. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. My pleasure. So your book was recommended to me by a friend whose work is focused on convening regenerative spaces, and she thought I'd be interested in in talking to you as, as she felt your work is heavily influenced by systems thinking. And she's quite right. Um, I, I read the book, loved it, and just felt like it was a really meaty um, systems conversation that, that we could have. I'd like to start our conversation by hearing a little bit about your background and your relationship with systems thinking, if, if you wouldn't mind starting there. Yeah, of course. Happy to. Yeah, my, my journey in this work starts really about 15 years ago. Uh, I was, uh, I'd worked in a number of uh, different places as a a server at a restaurant uh, in a big corporation um, in a small tech startup and uh, and at a nonprofit organization and um, you know by that time I I knew that my work was 
going to be for a purpose, for impact of some kind. I didn't know how, though, how I could really contribute and what my, what my path would be. Um, so I was working at this nonprofit organization, and I uh, saw how they were doing really great, inspiring work. They, uh, But they were really, in a lot of ways, felt like they were addressing the symptoms of this massive, broken system. Um, they were addressing issues around affordable housing, but but also really kind of operating alone as an organization. Uh, I didn't see much collaboration with so many of the other types of organizations or, or public agencies or others who were also were working on that, that big complex issue. So I started getting really curious about how we could work not just within a single organization, but really across organizations at a systems level. That was really the guiding question that, that led me to then Monitor Institute, and uh, that's the social sector wing of a consulting firm. And, and it was there that you know had the opportunity to get exposed to to early writings from June Holly and Valdis Krebs, Madeline Taylor, and Peter Plastrick, and and to get exposed to systems thinking and and systems mapping and 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 learn more about you know, deliberate approaches to multi stakeholder collaboration that. We could. There were really processes and and tools we could use to bring people and bring organizations together to do things together they can't do alone, and 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 that it was you know, we could build on lessons from social movements and community building and community organizing, and then also bring in new lessons from network science and systems thinking and others uh, to really collaborate at, at larger scales uh, than than I had seen before, and. and and notice too how you know some individual organizations were really scaling their impact out, increasing their connections and through collaboration rather than scaling up, building a bigger and bigger organization. Uh, Kaboom is an example. They help build playgrounds in low-income neighborhoods, and and they don't have a huge organization. Really, instead, they partner with local organizations who are on the ground in those neighborhoods to support them to and their communities to do the work that's necessary to build the playground. So, really scaling out instead of scaling up. That was really intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. And also noticing networks that were really deliberately organized and even staffed. At, to support coordination and collaboration across across systems, the REAMP was an early example. Started in 2005, uh, they brought together over 150 different organizations to equitably reduce carbon emissions across nine states in the Midwestern United States, and have had really big success stories since 2005 in terms of shutting down coal plants, passing energy efficiency policies, and so forth. And so that was kind of the the light bulb moment for me that it was possible to work across the silos we create and the boundaries that we we often compose on ourselves through through different organizations and different systems and uh, and so long story short that led me to Fresno to to help start a, a network there to revitalize that city uh, cross sector network then the Santa Cruz Mountains region a network for environmental stewardship and launched Converge in 2013 and since then have really just been supporting networks in a really wide variety of fields um, and all around the world. And and from those experiences, seeing every network is really so different in terms of uh, the historical context and the context of the place and the people who are involved. But there's, but there's also a lot that's similar in terms of often how they begin and the type of leadership that's required mm-hmm. and the processes and structures they use to form and grow. And 
it was it was those common patterns that then informed the book and and that we've been trying to share with others. Got it. Um, and I, I noticed just a, a lot of the the thinkers you reference in 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 the book. Um, I I just I felt a a, 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 a connection really uh, when I was reading the book just because of so so many of of your influences. Um, Capra, Meadows, Sharmer, uh, we've, we've covered a lot of these, these thinkers, um, on this channel. Um, and, and so are there any in, in particular that just really stood out for you along the way as kind of big influencers, just some, something you just really resonated with from their work? Yeah. You mentioned Meadows and I'd have to say Danilo Meadows, you know, the places to inter- intervene in the system was really sort of mind blowing at me at that moment. Uh, mm-hmm. It was really influential. And, and especially, you know, first of all, understanding the concept of leverage points and how you know, shift in one thing can produce big changes throughout the system. And, uh, but, uh, but the, the biggest moment for me was where she got to, you know, the, the power to change paradigms and then to transcend paradigms altogether. Uh, and, know, and, and what that meant in terms of you know, our mental models as individuals and our collective mental models and how we can, how we can change, uh, the, the way that we understand the systems around us and interact with them. That was, uh, that was a big deal for me. Got it. Yeah. Uh, for me too. Um, so I, I really appreciated, um, running across her and in, in your book, of course, her work just lives on, of course, and I think will always be really relevant. Um, for the listeners on on this channel, uh, systems, systems thinking, cybernetics, the concepts, the some of the you know the, the thinkers and writers that go back you know even a century um, are, are really familiar. But I, I think it might be useful for you, you to just kind of talk a little bit about the relationship between systems and networks. I've read the whole book. Um, listeners haven't. I'm assuming. I'm going to presume have not had that benefit. Um, when they when they listen to this, so I feel like I get it. Um, but it would be really helpful, I think. Um, you know, you write at one point that networks underlie uh, networks. The under, they underlie systems, and whether those systems are organizational, social, planetary, and they have a big influence on how healthy and effective those systems are. So, what came to mind for me is, yeah, and they can, you know, you can also have, I guess, really unhealthy networks that that that. And you talked about echo chambers as, as well. So I'd love you to just kind of spend a little bit of time talking about that relationship between systems and networks. Yeah, of course. Uh, I think we know that we live in this world of, of great complexity and that complexity just seems to increase rapidly. And and we know we have to, to work together in pretty unprecedented ways because addressing Big complex issues like social inequities and climate change and providing economic opportunity for all. These these aren't issues that can be solved by working alone. Right? To address these are really systemic issues, and to address systemic issues, we also have to work systemically. and And what I mean by that is working not just within kind of one piece of the system, but really across the whole system. And that means that it spans multiple organizations and multiple sectors. Uh, that there's no single organization or institution who can change systems by themselves. And, and it's because, you know, systems are complex and complex issues are experienced really differently by different people. People are affected by these issues in really different ways. The system is constantly changing and evolving. And, and, and so our, in our work to address complex issues and, and to work in complex systems, 
it's not something that we can plan out in advance. We're not building a bridge from point A to point B. Uh, it's it's not always clear how one action is going to kind of affect the system in a bunch of different ways. And there's no single person or organization who can hold all the complexity by themselves. We each have our piece of the puzzle. Uh, but instead, we really need to to bring different actors together from across these systems who are seeing different parts of it, bring their different diverse perspectives, strengthening their collective ability to share information, resources, building on the things that are already working, learning from the things that aren't working, but then to use back to Danella Meadows' work, finding those those leverage points, the places where you know, a collective concerted effort could really have uh, tremendous impacts across the system because there are certain factors that mm-hmm. that uh, are are more influential positively or negatively than others and kind of have ripple effects like that. So, in our in our work to in our work within complex systems, it's really about how can we strengthen the connections, uh, the flows of information and right. resources, and and from that can kind of learn into and discover together. Uh, what we can do together to, to shift the system in a positive direction. About a year and a half ago, I had an opportunity to talk to um, Ray Eisen and uh, Ed Straw about the hidden power of systems thinking. And uh, I really appreciated uh, a, a few things in particular in the book. And one of them was just a, a systems sensibility and uh, how important it is for us to have that system sensibility. And when I read the part in your book about the need for adopting a network mindset, it, it felt like that it was taking that system sensibility to that next level. And, you know, the comparison you made between the, the hierarchical mindset versus the, the network mindset really, I, I felt kind of brought that to life. Um, so is that, is, is that kind of your intention for when you think about network mindset, it's, it's how do you actually, um, embody or, uh, enable within ourselves the, that ability, that, that sensibility those guys are maybe talking about? Yeah, I think it's, you know, so many of us, speaking for myself, at least socialized in, in hierarchical systems, uh, my whole life and from schools and, uh, and college, and then most of the places that I worked, there was always you know, a boss and, and chains of command and, and this rigid organizational structure that really was imposed from above and, and dictated the path of uh, information and, and flow of resources. And and it a lot of things in life, of course, are organized in that tree-like structure, but uh, but but networks are are really uh, kind of underlie even even hierarchical structures in any hierarchical system there's always these informal networks of 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 people of connections of information flow that that is actually uh getting things done in really different ways than than the org chart would show uh the the shift is to to recognize that we're we're not the center of the universe and our organization isn't the center of the universe. It's really kind of one star in this large and diverse constellation of others. Right. So it's, it's really common for, for organizations to, to put their own status and growth at the center of their focus. It makes a lot of sense. Organizations are really pressured to, to you know, show their impacts or uh, their continued growth. But, but when it comes to, again, to addressing complexity, 
there's not any organization who can do it by themselves. So we have to see ourselves as part of this larger, diverse constellation of actors and organizations who who touch these issues and are intersecting with these issues in in many different ways. And so, you know, can we some instead of always putting the organization's growth or status at the center of our focus, can we put shared purpose or shared issue at the center of our focus and then work to strengthen those connections and flows between them? And that's really what it means to build a network. Got it. So thank you for that. Uh, that very, very useful um, context. You know, if you flip over, over to the back of the book, um, the very first sentence is the social and environmental challenges we face today are complex, systemic and structural. This is kind of the backdrop, uh, and you've, you've touched on this already. We've, we've got complex, very systemic and structural challenges that we, we need to address. The, the premise of your book is, is that, we, that we need a, a certain kind of network, this Im- impact network, and that's the title of the book. I'd love you to just talk a little bit about what you really mean by impact networks and, and the different kinds of impact networks that you, that you believe Sure. I mean, when we're talking about systems and complexity, it all can get sound really complex, right? <laughs> but yeah. but really, this is all about how can we actually work together better? How can we coordinate our efforts uh, across silos, across the the typical boundaries that hold us back? So uh, that's really what it is at a simple level. It's all coordination. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, hierarchies have emerged uh, over the past many generations as the dominant organizi- organizing structure uh, because they're, they're predictable. They're, they're really good at doing what they do best. Uh, they are really good at producing goods and services, uh, but, but they're not so good at kind of adapting on the fly. They're not so good at engaging really large numbers of people. Uh, they're, they're not so good at, uh, at, at, uh, being the structure for you know, multi-stakeholder collaborations where people are coming together to the table as equals uh, for you know, collective ownership models. And, and, and so networks, it's really a return to the way that we've naturally connected uh, with one another for as long as we've been around, right? People have always formed networks. We've always worked in community with others to solve challenges that we can't on our own. And so in many ways, I'm really talking about a return to the ways that humans have naturally connected for mm. for generations, right? Really, an unlearning of the top-down command and control model that's been imposed on so much of the world. It, again, we can build on lessons from social movements and community organizing and indigenous wisdom, and then incorporate lessons from network science in terms of understanding how people actually connect, how behavior changes, how information spreads, uh, and, 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 and then also bring in new tools and technologies that really allow us to, to coordinate across time zones and at scales that we uh, previously weren't able to quite as well uh, to, to organize in this more decentralized way where we're uh, leadership is distributed. Decision making is distributed. There's there's not a, a single authoritative leader, but really multiple network leaders, multiple you know, facilitative leaders or servant leaders, people who are not directing the work and telling people what to do, but really creating the conditions so that people can connect, share information and find ways to work together on behalf of the common issues that bring them together. So it's really it's it's a shift in the way that we're approaching mm-hmm. organizing, but 
in a lot of ways, it's really a return to the ways that we've naturally wanted to connect yeah. with one another in relationship and in community. Yeah. And, and also, uh, you know, what I, what I picked up from what you wrote, it's not just the way we as human beings have, have always connected, but this relationship and, and um, grounding around living systems. Um, so, you know, when we think about self-organization and systems thinking and cybernetics, and we talk about autopoiesis um, and, um, and, and emergence and what we see in the, in the natural world um, in terms of uh, relationships, cooperation over competition, um, but also like those tensions that you refer to, which in the natural world are naturally competitive sometimes. Um, so in th- this, this, um, this notion of the parts and the whole it being in, in, in tension and how, you know, if you think about most organizations, uh, I, I'll, I'll use that word rather than uh, network, but that's, I, I think about a company, like the companies that I've worked for my, my whole career, we don't really like tension, or we might say like going into a planning process, here are the rules uh, for the meeting. And, uh, you know, we don't want any conflict, but some healthy tension is, is, is required, but we don't really do it. It's, I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting. But when we think about um, th- for me, this is, is kind of one of the challenges in, in, in system thinking that, that the parts in the whole and those, the relationships between them um, and how we think about embracing that tension, working with it, squashing it, like, you know, and, and then the relationship between that dynamic and emergence, which you also spend a lot of time on in the book and which, and it's a topic I love. So I, I'd love it if you could just, that wasn't really a question. It was just kind of a bunch of like notes that I've, 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 or thoughts I've had, you know, reading the book, but I'd love you to just maybe speak to that theme. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's tension in a system and tension is really healthy, right? If we, uh, it's, it's how we can walk across a a rope that's tied between two trees. If it's hot with tension, uh, it has strength. So there is strength in tension, uh, as long as we're able to hold that tension and it doesn't break. Uh, and, 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 in any system, there's going to be in any human system, should say, in any organization, any network, any community, there's going to be disagreements about uh, different perspectives, different just, uh, disagreements about the right thing to do. There's there's always tension and potential conflict there. A lot of times, I think we shy away from that and we just want to focus on the places where we agree. But but the only way to actually discover the many different things that we do agree on and the slices of common ground that we do have is actually to to be able to be open to expressing our full uh, divergent opinions. Now, only through divergence and allowing and discovering the many different perspectives we have, only then can we start to see where there's overlap and begin to converge on those different uh, places where there is common ground. And then can work together on those things and and those things can become sort of a, a foundation for our the d- development of our relationship and our future collaborative work and now through that process we we have greater clarity and understanding of where we actually disagree a lot of times people will just project on others uh, about what they think or the positions they hold uh, but but actually if we get into the nuance of it uh, it it's a lot more varied than, than I think we realize. Um, of course, there's there's a lot of polarization, but if you if you dig deep enough, there's actually a lot of common values underneath 
that you know, we have a lot of the same whys, even if our, our hows uh, are really different. And, and this is why you know, networks fundamentally are webs of relationships that connect people or things, right? Networks are all around us in that way. And, and so networks are really as strong as the connections that hold them together and then the flows that are moving through those connections, flows of information and resources. But that's why building you know, real human connection and building community building belonging is so important in these types of, in this type of collaborative work, because there's always going to be disagreements, right? There's always going to be tensions and actually it's necessary again to, to be able to have divergent opinions and see what's out there. And so uh, if we though are able to hold that tension, uh, we can, uh, we can work through those inevitable disagreements and miscommunications that are going to arise at any time that we try to work with another person or another group and hang in there long enough until we can find a common ground where we do great yeah. work together on that, or at least have a greater understanding of each other's perspectives and therefore also uh, a greater understanding of what's actually happening in, in the system as a whole and, and where there might be opportunities to influence it. I want to mention at this point um, that throughout the book, you have um, little symbols that indicate um, if there is something that readers might want to go to the Converge um, website and, uh, and, and look for. There are a bunch of guides and, and, and tools um, that are part of the Converge Network Toolkit. And uh, there's a lot of really useful information that, that, that people should look at if they're interested in this. And I, I bring that up because um, at, at this point in the conversation, um, I feel it's really valuable to talk about the really practical uh, aspects of, of your work. It's not we're not just talking systems in, in theory here. You've done a lot of a lot of network uh, impact network uh, work. You've de- developed a lot of impact networks, I guess, is probably the better way to, to say it. And you've used these these tools. So when I think about um you know, the, um, you know, for example, like planning for emergence, uh, is, is one that is just a concept that I, I, mm-hmm. I really like and, and what that actually means and, and how we can, um, bring a concept like that into, into our work. A lot of times when you, when you show up for uh, a meeting and you say, uh, we, we actually don't have an agenda. We're going to, just kind of work through a process. We're going to see what emerges. That makes people kind of squeamish um, because it feels. Well, are we going to walk away with anything here? Are we actually going to make any progress? Are we productive? You know, time sticking. I've only got so much um, time set aside for this meeting. Is that? Is that? Do you think that that is one of the biggest challenges in in this work? I think it's uh, that's one of the tensions is between planning and emergence and. In, in, in work when we're engaging with complexity, where there is not a very clear beginning or end, we don't have, we can't predefine a blueprint to go from point A to point B, we have to sit into, in, in the unknown, the unknowing. And that's really hard. Uh, and that, that creates a lot of tension for people who want to you know, get things done and want to have a lot of certainty. Ambiguity is, is hard for people in general. Uh, but what we can do, we don't just need to uh, get in the room and just be totally loose and emergent and we'll figure it out. We can actually create deliberate processes 
that we know are going to move us in a positive direction and let the results of that still be emergent. We don't need to hold on too tightly to, to what we are trying to make happen or what we think might happen because we just don't know until we start and we learn and we adapt and we adjust. Uh, but, and we can create deliberate processes for emergent results. And that's really what this book is all about. It's, it's, this book is not theoretical. It's really just built through practice, uh, through the, the 50 plus impact networks that we've worked with, through the, the 40 something interviews I did with network leaders who have been doing this work for a really long time. Uh, it's, this is really not a theoretical work. It's actually practical work of how can you, we know we can increase connectivity, increase flows of information and communication, and increase instances where people find opportunities to collaborate with one another. We we know we can do that in a pretty predictable way. We can measure that using social network analysis. We don't know exactly what those collaborations are going to be uh, or what's going to pop out of that. Uh, once we go through those deliberate processes, then people have a better understanding of what's happening across the system, where there might be opportunities to act, then they identify more specific measurable things that they can go after. And that's when we can then introduce those, those more tangible metrics in terms of how we're going to measure the impact of our work. But until that point, rather than holding on to that potential future state too tightly, because we just honestly don't know, instead we can, we can create again, a really deliberate process to, to bring groups together to then get to those points where we can create more intentional and sometimes hierarchical structures to then uh, execute on the project work. Got it. That's very, very useful. And uh, as I was reading and listening to you just now, um, I can't help but think about some projects that are, are going on where I am right now um, at, on Vancouver Island. And uh, I think listeners know that I, um, I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area, but I've often mentioned um, uh, Vancouver Island. Um, a place I really uh, care about. Um, I'm, I'm actually uh, also kind of sitting on uh, the uh, land, the ancestral land of the Coast Salish people, specifically the Shunemuk, um First Nation. And uh, there's a, a lot of work that's happening between different parts of the community, including um, the First Nation community here. And I, I, it's kind of, I don't know how to describe it. It's a little bit of a cart before the horse kind of thing, or, you know, kind of trying to identify that outcome, which is you know, often really important. We've got urgent things around climate, uh, carbon emissions, all these kinds of things. And there's urgency. And I, I hear from a lot of members of the community, this is all great. You know, um, becoming a, a, a transition town is, is awesome building community, but what are we doing now? What are we, what's the action we're actually taking? And, and so, it, it, it feels like this is, is a necessary kind of process that, that needs, it, it, it needs some investment of time. I, I can really hear that uh, from you. Um, and I can see that that's part, that would be part of the resistance as well, kind of given there are a lot of people who are invested and then many who aren't necessarily invested in, in change, but a process like this could be really helpful for getting that kind of alignment and, and commitment and real um, kind of, love and and uh you know kind of being um 
I guess, kind of feeling into that. I'm, I'm using kind of wishy-washy words, you know, those warm, warm and fuzzy kinds of words. But I, I think that's often a, um, a neglected part of uh, process and facilitation. And what, what we can do, though, also is uh, we can very quickly and immediately build on the things that are already happening. We can coordinate the efforts that are already underway. We coordinate our existing actions. Uh, and, and that requires having greater understanding of what each person is working on and what they care about, uh, you know, where there might be intersections in terms of focus on place or issue uh, between folks. Um, so, but we can, and we always do at, uh, when we bring people together for these networks, you know, we are, we are building sort of the foundational infrastructure for longer term work together and longer term work to address the system as a whole. And that is, that is long-term work, but, but then also really immediately can understand what are people's immediate needs? What do you need to get out of this to make it work for you or your organization or your constituents? Uh, what are, what requests do you have in this moment? You know, a lot of folks you know, need a conference room to do X, Y, and Z or resources on an issue that they're, they're working on, or, you know, to talk with somebody who has experience on a similar project, whatever it might be. Uh, we can, we can, uh, introduce those immediate requests and then also have space for people to, to support those and to make offers. Here's something that I can give to the collective uh, to make it work for others. Mm -hmm. So we're really deliberate about gives and gets. You know, what do you, right. what can you give? What do you need to get out of it? Uh, and so we're, we're strengthening uh, the things that are already happening and we're really, uh, we want to make sure that people are also getting value, direct value out of their time committed to these different networks and engagements in the short term as we move along the path of, of longer term work together. Mm -hmm. so I think you can do both. That's both, uh, okay. again, another tension between the long term uh, interests that we have and the short term needs. Nice. Uh, part two of the book delves into cultivating um, these impact networks and there's some great guidance in there. And, and I, I love that you start and you've just touched on this a moment ago, um, starting with making sense of the system and, and building on what already exists. So making sense of the system, you, you draw again on Danella Meadows and talk about leverage points there and how useful that is in terms of making sense of the system. And then building on what already exists, I think that that is, um, was, and your explanation right now is really valuable too, because I think that's part of what I, I quite often see is people will say, oh, well, that, that particular organization there is, is not really meeting our needs completely. We need to go out and start a new one. And, and we're going to have similar mission with similar goals, but here's our angle and, and we need to do it this way. And, and it kind of feels like, well, while there's room for everybody, and appreciate everybody rolling up their sleeves and doing work together. Um, are we in some ways taking resources away from each other? Are we kind of competing for attention because people can only, only have so much capacity to pay attention and to, you know, listen to people talk or go to zoom webinars or even, or give money. And so I, I, I really appreciate that that's where impact networks, um, are also really important. Have I got a good read on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was one of the, the things that led me into this work is seeing that there are so many different organizations who are working on very similar things, but 
but aren't really actually coordinating with one another. Uh, I think the only way to to address these big issues is to, yes, do lots of different things, but also make sure that those are reinforcing and learning from one another's failures and successes and and sharing information uh, about that. Even if we don't work together, uh, we can we can strengthen the system as a whole by increasing the flows of information uh, and, and resources between us and, yeah. in a learning network. Yeah. Uh, and and what you spoke to, too, uh, made me think of some principles of network mindset from Janeway Skiller, who's been studying collaborators and networks for over two decades. And uh, she has four principles uh, of network mindset, which number one is mission, not organization, which means focus on scaling your impact rather than growing an individual organization or function. Right? Again, if you put if you put that purpose at the center, the impact at the center, you might recognize that another organization isn't really necessary. How can we actually build on the things that are already happening or, or partner uh, with others scaling out rather than scaling up? Second is node, not hub. Understand that we are part of these interconnected systems, not the center of it. Uh, Humility, not brand. So how do we share leadership and credit with peers instead of hoarding power or trying to be a hero? And and then trust, not control. Really doing this in large part by building trust-based relationships rather than systems of control. And that's often where it starts, finding that ROR, the return on relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things I noted or noticed right away in the cultivating impact networks section was um, your statement that convenings bring the whole system together. And I went, hmm, interesting. Um, quite often I'll be in convenings and uh, it, it, we notice, you know, people will notice that there are voices missing from the conversation. And we can sit around and talk about this all day long. And isn't this fantastic? And, and we end up feeling very positive. And, and uh, this is great work. We're so committed. And then you feel positive until you realize we're only a, maybe a small part of this, of this picture. And so this, this notion of bringing the whole system, convening the whole system, it sounds challenging. I mean, I can see why it's important and earlier, you you call out the danger of echo chambers, um, but we also don't want to replace one echo chamber with another. Um, and so that's obviously why it's important to bring the whole system together. But it, it's obviously more dangerous, more daunting. It's, I'm guessing, more difficult to get the right people to the table. Definitely, and and it's it's never something that's complete. Uh, you know, you're never and will never be fully finished. You'll never truly ever bring the whole system together, but it's that aspiration, right? And so constantly asking yourself at that meeting, who else needs to be involved? And then being very deliberate about engaging those folks at the next meeting. And and importantly, at that point, not inviting them into your thing, but really inviting them into co-creating what's possible now that they're part of the group. Adrian Marie Brown talks about who to convene uh, number one, those who are directly impacted by the issue. Number two, those who are doing compelling work on the issue. And then number three, those who can move the work forward. So it really is a priority to convene a diverse set of participants from the very beginning, not later after the effort's already been established, because whatever patterns are defined in the early stages of uh, networks formation or communities formation, whether consciously or subconsciously, they're likely to persist for a while. But, uh, but of course... A lot of efforts have already gotten started. 
it's hard to to get the whole system in the room from the very beginning but we're constantly asking ourselves right who else who else needs to be involved and how do we really invite them into co-creation then and that it uh, you notice it is hard. I think technology allows us to do that in terms of lowering the barrier to entry uh, in some cases through virtual convenings rather than in person. But um, but there are you know, accessibility issues around technology as well. So there's always challenges. Uh, one of the things, though, is uh, this really speaks to how can we bound the, the issue that we're focused on, bound our purpose more and more tightly around place, issue, uh, population, uh, whatever it might be, bounding it more tightly makes it that much more easy to to find and connect and engage the people who are focused on that particular issue or purpose. When we're trying to you know, address these massive global issues that are just so hard to get our hands around, uh, you know, almost everybody could be involved. It's it's so hard to find uh, the commonalities between them. The conversations are much more diffuse. So you know, we really try to how can we how can we bound that purpose uh, as as tightly as we can so that the the shared context is that much greater. So that uh, the people will see themselves in the spirit of that collective and and want to be part of it because it's really speaking to the thing that they're they're caring about and working on and and then it also really helps to to advance the conversation and advance then also the identification of of what can we do together uh because uh, you know we're not trying to boil the ocean we're really looking at a particular slice got it thank you for that i and i i think that you um addressed one of the biggest parts of my question, which was the natural resistance in the system to even being part of uh, a question, a, 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 you know, a discussion around um, climate change when there are um, actors that in the system that are heavily embedded in something that is is contributing. Uh, dramatically to climate change and, and, and having them be part of that that conversation, uh, I think that's maybe one of the biggest challenges that that, that I see. But I think you've you've um, expressed some really great ideas around how to uh, do that kind of engagement. One of the things that I, I really liked and it created this kind of mental um, picture for me. Um, with also the help of the visuals that you you have in, in in the in the book, of course, but it's this idea of infusing energy into the the network. Like I, I, I've been in tech my whole career, so when I think of network, I think of a, a networked world via the internet, via you know TCP/IP protocols and all that stuff. The way we plug in uh, to each other. Um, and, and that, and there's energy there. There's, there's real energy when, when that kind of plugging in happens, um, like enabling internet connectivity in a, in a previously, you know, isolated community that now can participate in things that they hadn't previously, what was sort of where I went with that. Um, but you bring in this notion of of weaving, and so I I, I kind of wonder if this is less about hardwiring and more more a weaving metaphor that you would encourage. Yeah, I think I love the term network 
weaving. It's it's uh, this is from June Holly, uh, at least as far as I know, and um, mentor of mine. She uh, introduced the concept of weaving in terms of uh, we're not building networks like they're not structures like a bridge, but we're really kind of cultivating these interconnected ecosystems, right? And we can uh, one of the the key leadership roles in that work is network weaving, which is connecting with individual people from across the system, understanding their needs and concerns and what they're working on, et cetera. And then also connecting people together, you know, weaving the threads that tie us together, weaving relationships between the network. You mentioned infusing energy into the network too. One of the things that that really speaks to is in convenings or in these moments where we bring people together, it's not just another meeting, right? We're not going through Robert's Rules of Order and we're not just, you know, going down the agenda list, ABC, all sterile and everything. It's really, again, let's bring it back to community and connection and and finding the the fire uh in between us that that we're drawn to and um sensing into it the energy where it is where it wants to go um kind of getting to that deeper level of, of human connection and um and and so infusing energy in that way is also kind of creating a different type of experience when when people are brought together that's not something that they're used to and having conversations you don't normally have with people you don't normally have them with. Uh, that's you know, in, uh, embracing you know, head, heart, and hands, uh, different approaches to the work, different ways of knowing and being. Uh, so infusing energy in that way, is, uh, it, it creates a different experience. And I also think of it you know, in terms of like a visual, uh, I, I see it as we're trying to build sort of a hot burning sun, uh, something that, that draws people in, that creates this gravitational force that then kind of brings more planets and uh, and asteroids and other things into its solar system and uh, and constantly moving, constantly evolving. But we're really trying to create what's that hot burning sun, especially in convenings, those moments where people are brought together uh, as uh, as many people as uh, make sense for the network at that time. But it, that creates an infusion of energy. And over time, energy dissipates. You know, people go back to their day-to-day lives. We get busy, et cetera. So that energy dissipates. We stay connected in some ways. But but then we have those convenience again, and it brings people together again, and it creates this other spark of energy. So mm. uh, that's what I meant by infusing energy into the network. Got it. And, and, and we, we move it around a little bit, and it's neither you know created nor destroyed. <laughs> Exactly. Yep. People just focus energy on different things and that makes sense. But then we bring back to the, uh, yeah. the, the collective. Got it. Um, sort of in, in, in reference to uh, Wheatley, you, you come up with your own term pockets of possibility. And I, I really love that because I, I started to imagine again, kind of these networks sort of running sort of you know and, and supporting these systems or sort of helping to morph these 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 systems and then amongst these networks these pockets of, of possibility talk a little bit about that yeah first of all one of my all-time favorite meg wheatley quotes the world doesn't change one person at a time it changes as networks of relationships form among people who discover they share a common cause and a vision for what's possible and in one of her more recent books, she she talked about creating islands of sanity. You know, we we can't change the whole system all at once. If you try that, you're gonna 
you're going to burn out. It's just too hard. It's, but, but what we can do is change individual smaller systems. We can change local systems. We can, we can create these islands of sanity where, where people are really connecting differently and creating kind of a new ecosystem within a particular space. And, uh, and I use the term, I, um, uh, pockets of possibility instead of islands of sanity. Um, it's just uh, maybe a little bit more hopeful, but it's just a different way of thinking about it. Um, less uh, kind of reactionary to what's outside the island uh, of insanity, which I resonate with that as well. But <laughs> but I, I kind of think of it as you know uh, planting seeds and 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 kind of helping to cultivate a garden because. I see a, a lot of this work of, of building networks really is like cultivating gardens. You know, no two gardens are exactly the same. Every plant grows in relationship with its neighbors and the soil and the climate. We can't grow gardens overnight. It takes time for plants to develop. But what we can do is we can plant the seeds. We can provide the nutrients, the water, the sunlight. The plants need to grow and thrive. We can tend to these gardens. We can provide pollinators. We can even provide some degree of structure in the form of the stakes and trellises that plants grab onto as they grow. Right? So we can't force plants to grow in a certain way, but we can support them as they grow with the scaffolding. And we also know if we impose our influence too much on, on nature, on gardens, we might mess things up, but we, we can cultivate them with care and we can cultivate these networks with care without forcing them or controlling them. So in terms of pockets of possibility, it's kind of creating these fertile, the fertile soil for things to new things to grow and, uh, and, and then new flowers and, uh, and fruit to bloom out of that. As we wrap up here, um, just a couple of, of, uh, final things I'd love you to touch on. So creating systemic change is a marathon, not a sprint. You, you write and, uh, in this section that, uh, you call planting sequoias, which I, I really like, and you did touch on this earlier, um, this longer term, we have to think of, of course, uh, in, in terms of the, the longer term, um, maybe seven generations from now. Um, but in terms of um, how you're sort of thinking about the, the, the impact, the actually ability to create new systems potentially, um, and, and the role of, of, of this kind of work and this kind of um, mindset. Um, just talk a little bit about that. Oh, well, that, that reminds me of the famous Buckminster Fuller quote, you know, change, you don't change things by fighting the existing system. You create a new system that makes the old one obsolete. And, um, you know, that actually is, uh, has led me to, to work more in the web three space over the past year with DAOs, these decentralized autonomous organizations that, uh, it really is trying to create new systems, new local economies, uh, rather than directly fighting against the existing system. And, um, yeah, it, when we're trying to change existing systems or create new systems, you know, this is it's long term work. Of course, this is it is it's multiple generations. Um, the planting sequoias was in reference to Wendell Berry you know, plant uh, plant seeds of sequoias that you you won't see to grow. And uh, I I think we have to hold that that longer term vision because it's it's so easy, at least speaking for myself, to be totally disheartened with with the planet and the the, the pace at which we are addressing you know, climate issues and uh, and everything else um, but 
you know, we have to start somewhere, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and back to Meg Wheatley, we can't change everything all at once. So so where can we focus? You know, and for me, um, you know, we can focus locally. We can we can grow these these pockets of possibility. Uh, we can we can cultivate these these really vibrant gardens in in our in our own place or around a particular issue. We can we can really connect people and organizations in a new way so that. Uh, the whatever system they're working within can be that much more healthy and vibrant, and and uh, and through Web three we can create some new tools and and infrastructure that uh, that uh, kind of allow people to coordinate at larger scales than we ever uh, could before. Um, to at scales beyond where we we know each person and and we have some degree of trust or understanding, but. But how do we actually create trustless systems where we can coordinate even when we don't know anything about each other? Um, so it's it is a long game, but uh, but I think you know I've seen the transformation that happens in a single uh, convening and in a single moment when you shift the nature of the conversation and when you when you bring people to a deeper level and a deeper level of of shared understanding and, and human connection and and that change doesn't have to take a long time. That can be really almost instantaneous and it can have really profound ripple effects. So we're holding that long-term vision, but, but we can also do really profound things, uh, transformative things in a really short amount of time. If we just choose to engage with them differently and be deliberate about the process again, even though we might not know exactly what results are going to unfold. Amazing. Oh, for sure. David, thank you so much for joining me uh, for this conversation. I love the book. I love the work you're doing. And I hope we get a chance to speak again and maybe we'll find a way to work together. So thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to my conversation with David Ehrlichman about his 2021 book, Impact Networks, Create Connections, Spark Collaboration, and Catalyze Systemic Change. Thanks for listening. And until next time, so long.